Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of Catholicism, Not Just for Dummies. I'm Father Andy Vogel. And I'm Father Andy Bierman. In this episode, we will be talking about chapel veils and communion in the hand versus communion on the tongue. So, yeah, so in all things, ad maiorum dei gloriam. We are your hosts, Father Andy the Greater and Father Andy the Lesser. Buckle up, we've got a lot to cover. This is Catholicism, not just for dummies. So, chapel veils. All right, we, uh, th- this was actually a question that came to us, so we have a shout out for Jade Lockwood. Yes, uh, thank for you for the question. question. But there's probably other people that are wondering as well. Yeah, and why is that? Because it's become more popular um, I don't, I can never get all my generation straight, but um, is it, what is the current generation? The millennials? Millennials. Um, or are we beyond that now? I think we're beyond that, but it does, okay. <laughs> the, uh, one of the articles I was looking at, it does mention millennials though, that among that age group, there seems to be an increase in desire uh, to wear chapel veils. Right. Yeah, so, amongst the women. Yeah, so Jade's age group, right? Probably. And, and younger, yeah. there is a rise, yeah. uh, a resurgence of young women wanting to wear chapel veils. Right, right. Yeah, and, I, and so I think it's the, uh, there is the kind of that generational question because the, the older people remember that time back in the 60s, I suppose you could say, and before when they all women had to have their head covered when they went to mass yeah. and uh it uh sometimes you know they wouldn't be able to find their veil and then i've heard stories where they put a kleenex on their head and then go into the church so it wasn't always the most respectful thing <laughs> so a little off topic but a couple of times in my life especially at the newman center i forgot to put my white tab into my college shirt yeah. So I just cut a little strip out of a piece of paper and stuck it in. Right. And no one was the wiser. <laughs> no one was the wiser. I mean, I told some people and then they laughed, but right. otherwise they didn't know. Right. Right. So it happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you uh, you found an article on kind of just the history of, uh, of the veiling their head uh, going back to the time of the early Christians, right? Yeah, it says that, you know, in the early church that uh, women wear veils as a sign of their dignity and modesty. Mm-hmm. And just um, also being under the authority, uh, which is, I mean, all Christians are under the authority of Christ. Right, right. And so there's this sense of of yeah reverence or or modesty before God mm-hmm. and humility, I suppose. You humility, could say. yeah, that's yeah. the right word. Yeah, and I think you know we could talk about also the um, how there is a there's a value in veiling something that is important or uh, sacred or precious. Yeah. Or, or beautiful in yes. this case, you know. 
Yeah, like we again made this is another topic, but the chalice veil, mm -hmm. right? That um, the chalice remains veiled in what do you want to call it the Latin mass or whatever the extraordinary mm -hmm. form that, uh, and you can actually do it in the Novus Ordo, yeah. uh, but yeah. to veil the chalice until it is time to receive the blood of Christ to receive. Uh, the uh, the body and blood of no. Christ. And so it remains veiled, not because it's ugly or it shouldn't be seen or whatever, right. but because it's beautiful and because it's unveiled at the proper time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, so there's that sense of mystery, I suppose. Yes. Like, like there, um, it actually calls for the chalice to be veiled in the, in the rubrics of the Novus Ordo, but you don't necessarily see that in every place, but um, no. another place that it calls for a veil is in front of the tabernacle. Yeah. Uh, meaning that um, the the tabernacle has its own beauty. Of course, it's gold, and and people say, well, we shouldn't cover it up because because we're missing the beauty of it. But I think it's acknowledging that um, there's the visible beauty of the tabernacle, but there's the even greater beauty of what's in the tabernacle, which is God yes. himself, Jesus yeah. Christ, the Lord. And so the the veil kind of preserves that mystery that you can't just look in there and uh, and see uh, the the body of Christ or Jesus himself. So the veil helps to preserve that mystery, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Uh, just like in the in the uh, Old Testament times in the temple, there was a veil that uh, veiled the, the Holy of Holies, the, the yeah. Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And that was just one time a year on the, on the sacrifice of um, the day of atonement. Okay. And he would offer his offering of the blood on the altar and then on the people. So uh, it says in the gospels, when Jesus is crucified, when they pierce his heart with the lance, at that moment, there's an earthquake and the veil in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And the Holy of Holies is revealed, uh, which re really means it's the, the heart of Christ is revealed because the piercing goes into his heart. Yeah. And so we're, so we're able to see, at least at that moment, the heart of God himself. Uh, that is the great mystery. Yeah, so in the Mass, we're invited into the Holy of Holies, right? Right, and, yeah, um, when we receive communion, yeah. Yeah, and so... Uh, that's kind of part two of the episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are related to each other. Yeah. So yeah, going back to uh, the veiling uh, for women, I think there's um, there's a sense that that, uh, that we have in going in the presence of God to um, you know to cover our heads in in humility. So we were talking about how uh, you know even the bishop will wear a zucchetto during mass yep. as a yeah. covering of the head. But then he removes it when he says the Eucharistic prayer. Yeah, which is, I mean, just as we were just saying that the Holy of Holies is torn open mm -hmm. and and unveiled, you know, the especially as he is celebrating the Eucharistic liturgy mm -hmm. that we he's presenting or he is, you know, the high priest in the Holy of Holies, that like he removes his zucchetto yeah. during that time. Yeah, in the same way that you take the veil off the chalice at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I suppose you could say, yeah, the mystery is being revealed. Yeah. And so, yeah, there have been people who have talked about, you know, women and that a woman is a mystery, you know, that we talk about the original mystery of women uh, in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, before the fall, everything was unveiled. That mm. you know they didn't wear loincloth or whatever. Right. right. Um, that everything was clear and open. Um, yeah, like the will of God was very clear to them. Mm -hmm. That the but now that um, that the fall has happened, there things are veiled. That the mm -hmm. they were taken out of the garden. Yeah, I think it's um. So, yeah, in some in some sense that was clear, but in another sense, uh, they became they became unveiled after the sin. Meaning, uh, I guess in some ways we become too familiar with the mystery of the person, okay. and so there's a need now to veil to to maintain that mystery like mystery. like as priests you know we could become too comfortable and too familiar with handling the eucharist mm -hmm. and going into the tabernacle and all that and and um forgetting to genuflect or you know or show proper respect and so i think the the veil helps us to maintain that okay. reverence and realization of the the holiness of god and and so the same thing for the the mystery of the person you know, now we have modesty, which helps us to see there's a lot more than what you just see with your eyes to the person and the beauty yeah. of the person. Yeah. So why has it been tradition that women veil themselves and not men? Yeah, so that was a good question. So if, for men, it's more respectful to take off their hats when they go into church, whereas women are called traditionally to veil their heads so yeah. it seems to go back to first corinthians right yeah yeah so the so saint paul does write about in corinthians he says any man who prays or prophesies with his head covered brings shame upon his head but any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled brings shame upon her head so it'd be the same as shaving her head so kind of it it seems it seems like their hair is a natural veil in some ways, so you wouldn't want to remove that. Okay. So there's a sense where it is more respectful for men not to cover their head. Right. Yeah. And it's more respectful for women to cover their heads. Yeah. So uh, we kind of looked that up in um, the guidelines on manners or etiquette. You know, it's proper for men to remove their hat as a sign of respect when they come inside or in the church. Yeah. And uh, wasn't it something that goes back to the Middle Ages with the, the helmet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like when well, they would have worn knights or whatever would have worn helmets, right? It's kind of, you're not sure who's under the helmet. Or, mm -hmm. uh, and so to take off your helmet was to show, oh, I. I'm not your enemy, you know, I'm here in peace. Right. You know, and so because the 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 hat or the helmet, you yeah. know, was more than just like a little thing on top of your head, like a baseball cap. It was more of like, you know hiding your face and everything. hiding your face. To take it off was a sign of 
humility and vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, vulnerability, because now you could be wounded to a blow to the head, I suppose. Yeah. I, I have heard the same thing, like, um, with regard to genuflecting, like... Yes. The, the practice of genuflecting in front of a king or queen. Uh, as a knight, if you're down on one knee, you can't fight in a in a sword fight. Yeah. It puts I mean, you at disadvantage. Movies, but you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe they can in the movies, but um, <laughs> that's right. There's something uh, I know that you do not know. I am not right-handed or whatever it is. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so it's a sign of vulnerability and and again humility. I would say in the presence of God for men, in yeah. this case. So it's it's a it's a a weakening, I suppose, of the strength that men would have in going into battle. Yeah. Whereas for women, it's not really that picture or scenario. It's more of a recognizing the beauty and the mystery that is there. Yeah. Uh, that's being veiled, and then also humility and yeah. um, reverence. And maybe we don't want to get too deep into this, but it's also a sign of the spousal relationship with with Christ. And mm -hmm. so, um, that's one theory uh, that I believe comes out of the theology of the body is the reason why seeing attack. Eve is she was even in her body is a sign of receptivity, mm -hmm. which we are all receptive or in the position of receptivity before God. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that Eve was weak or whatever, but that she symbolized in some ways the receptivity of all of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so that's why sin attacked her, and and so there's this you know spousal relationship uh, that the whole church has, you know, with God. Mm -hmm. And so carrying that, you know, symbol forward, you know, there's that, again, that spousal uh, relationship that women especially image that we should all have before God. And mm -hmm. so to wear a veil, again, I mean, who wears a veil at their wedding? It's not the man, it's, right. you know, the woman. So this sense of veil, a reminder uh, to all of us of our the receptivity that we should have to Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, referencing Ephesians 5, right? Yeah. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, what did Christ do for the church? Well, he died on the cross. Like so, that's you know, again that that receptivity uh, that all of us should have, but especially symbolized in marriage, you know, between the husband and the wife. Yeah, yeah, I think you see that in the Song of Songs, which is uh, Saint Bernard says it's really a song about the relationship between God and the soul, the, yeah. the groom and the bride. Yeah. And, and it describes the soul as an enclosed garden. So it's, it's most fittingly applied to the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, the enclosed garden, which yeah. is her own soul and the beauty of that garden. And it's also the place where Christ is found, yeah. you know, in that garden, the place for her beloved. And, uh, and so I think, you know, the veil helps to recognize there's, there's something much more here than what we see just looking at the person from the outside, that interior garden, the, the dwelling place of God within, and which we all have in our relationship with God. Yes. Yeah.
Exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, if you see, especially young people wearing a veil um, at mass, you know, don't be surprised. Yeah. So I guess th that's the question: is um, should everyone wear a veil, or should they not wear a veil, or or what would be the attitude? I think um, that it's not. I don't think it's required, or, or saying that everyone should wear a veil. But then on the other hand, we we shouldn't really say no one should be wearing a veil because I think um, there's a there's a that sense that sometimes that people get, especially from the older generation, that people who are wearing the veil are thinking that they're better than others, or or I'm not as holy as you because I'm not wearing the veil. But I don't I don't think that's what they're trying to portray when they do it. No, I mean the millennials or the young people that I know. I'm doing it out of what the things that we've talked about, mm -hmm. out of reverence, humility, modesty, all these things, not because they think they're better than right. someone else. Right. So if you aren't wearing a veil, don't take it the opposite way, right? right? Yeah. You know, it's not, by them wearing a veil, they're not saying anything about you right yeah and i i don't think um it doesn't it kind of has baggage for people for who lived through that time and it, yeah. it means things that the young people are not aware of yeah the young people didn't live through the 60s and 70s and all the change that happened mm -hmm. um in the church and they as we've talked about before the young people just want truth goodness and beauty and they they don't have like you said all that baggage from the past they right. just want to do whatever they think is most beautiful what is most good and what is most truthful mm -hmm. right so it does say that the the 1917 code did prescribe a chalice veil mm -hmm. a chapel veil um but what code are we under now? 1983. 1983, yeah. And that code does not prescribe anything. So Yeah, and no, I think the I think it was uh released even before that because it would have been right around the in the uh that, installation right installation of the new mass, which was sixty nine or something like yeah. that. So again, uh as far as we're concerned, if you want to wear uh, at Chapel Vale, there's a lot of great reasons to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, but if people choose not to, that's way okay too. Right. And especially since our culture doesn't really have uh, women being veiled, wearing veils, like in the medieval times. They said everyone. That you would sometimes, women would veil or put a hat on even outside of Mass. Right. Right. And like yeah. it was just the common wear and the, it's not the case anymore. Yeah, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. So, but yeah, so. All right, should we move on to the other topic, which is today? communion on the tongue. Should we or shouldn't we? <laughs> Should we or shouldn't we? Uh, I would say that my approach to this is kind of like chapel veils, like you know, there's a lot of good in receiving on the tongue, but mm -hmm. it's not necessary. Right. Yeah. There were, uh, we, we looked through the um, documents of Vatican II, and they found one uh, that 
that talks about the, the possibility of introducing communion in the hand and that's from 1969 yeah. and at that time all the bishops voted it down but so it must have came about at a later date mm. of of being able to receive communion in the hand and there's uh, there's some evidence in the church fathers of uh, that that was the way it was received in the early church on the hand and then the person could consume it and um I think um, that the the important key is the the awareness that we're receiving Holy Communion. In other words, we're receiving Jesus Christ into ourselves. We're not taking it, uh, which would be a different image. Yes. And so that that attitude of receptivity is, uh, it, you know, to receive it on the hand means it's first placed in our hand and then we consume it or receiving it on the tongue it's placed on our tongue yeah so by the minister yeah so it's always seen as a gift that i mean you can't uh, you shouldn't take a gift right yeah like, it's not something you receive for, yeah. a gift and right. so in the same way we should receive uh the body and blood of jesus yeah, yeah. just the other day i was reading through the uh, morning prayer for Thursday, and it was Psalm 81, and it has the line, um, "Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it." And so the <laughs> it's it's the Lord speaking to the people, but I think it it talks about you know it reminds me of uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a robin's nest where there's the baby birds in there yeah. or any kind of bird's nest where um, the mother bird comes around and all of a sudden all their all their mouths are open wide to yep. receive the worm or whatever it is yeah and meaning they they're helpless they they are just sitting in the nest they can't feed themselves yeah. and they're completely dependent on the the mother bird to come and drop the food into their mouth and so, yeah. but they so that's the key open wide your mouths and i will fill it you know yeah. and so god is saying to that to us in some way you know yeah. we're completely dependent on him for what we need yeah and and in a very literal way i guess we open wide our mouth for holy communion which is god himself yeah jesus body <laughs> blood, he, soul, and he fills us with himself uh so the, yeah that sense that we can't take grace we can't take the body and blood for ourselves like we can't make christ a present mm -hmm. the way he is in the eucharist on our own right like we are totally dependent on god to make himself present in the eucharist right right and i've heard some people say well doesn't it say in the last supper account that it's, jesus said take and eat this is my body but uh, but i think the latin is um accipite, which is more of a sense of receive and eat and I think that's the prayer as well in Latin. So it, it, he's not saying, take this and grasp it with your own hand, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but it's a receiving of a great gift that God is giving us. Yeah. So um, in looking at the, uh, uh, the guidelines that they said, if, if communion in the hand is permitted, th th these things should be provided for. In other words, to make sure uh, that there's not a lessening of faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Yeah. That, uh, that it's not starting to be seen as just ordinary food. 
you know, there's there's something of that when you when you are receiving it on your tongue from the minister, you realize this isn't ordinary food. Yeah, I don't usually eat food this way. <laughs> yeah, where someone's putting it in my mouth. Wait, maybe when right? you were a toddler, or, uh, not a toddler, when you were a baby. Yeah, a yeah. baby or an elderly person, I yeah. suppose. But yeah. um, so uh, so they said uh, it should it should be recognized as a still an option. So you can't force people to receive on the hand, for example. Oh. And uh, the, I know the. Uh, the government in certain areas tried to do that during COVID is to, is to say in churches, people have to receive the communion host on their hand, but they're treading in an area that's beyond their scope to say that. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, it talks about the sensibility of people, you know, that, that um, there is a concern about sanitariness and things like that. But uh, communion can be distributed in a way where you're not touching their tongue with your fingers. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, to put the host on the tongue yeah. and uh, and to receive it that way. Um, the, to provided they can continue to receive and not taking and not let any fragments fall in either case. That that uh, there's still respect for the blessed sacrament. Yeah, and. Um, and if they are receiving by intinction, it has to be on the tongue, not in the hand, because you have the precious blood with the host then. Yeah. So do you want to take two seconds to explain intinction? Intinction. Okay. Yeah. Uh, intinction is one of the acceptable ways to distribute communion of the three. And so yeah. the, the normal one we're all familiar with, and that's just the minister gives it to you. And then and you yeah. receive it either on the hand or or on the tongue, yep. and then you take the chalice and drink from it. But uh, another way is um, uh, you can receive the precious blood through a tube or a little straw. Yep. Uh, but I don't. I've never seen this in any of Latin uh, Rite church. No. <laughs> but mm -hmm. but after you receive it through the little straw, you have to then drink some water to purify the straw and so okay. there's no precious blood in there uh but that's uh that that one didn't really catch on but the the other way is intinction and that is um uh take the consecrated host taking the host dipping it in the chalice and then giving it to the person on the tongue but you have to have the purificator underneath in uh, case there's any drops that fall uh, and uh, on the, only the minister can be the one to intinct not the person themselves because sometimes you you're at mass and the person brings their host to, to dip it into the chalice yeah, and yeah. that's not permitted no so so i think uh you know here again there's a there is a desire to recognize i guess um the the, the sacredness of the host that it is the body of christ yeah. and the blood of christ um, in, in receiving it on the tongue, it's more of a, a kind of an unusual way to receive food, to help us to realize this isn't ordinary food. food. Yeah. Which is a real concern. I mean, Bishop Barron, our own Bishop, was actually the one who kind of instigated the Eucharistic revival, which mm -hmm. is the, what the churches in the U.S. are going through. For right. a, we're in the middle of what a three-year kind of revival, right? Yeah. And 
the instigator to that was, I think it was a Pew Research study that said that only a third of Catholics uh, seemed to indicate that they believed that the Eucharist was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, that it was actually Jesus, not right. just a symbol. Right. Oh, it's, uh, which means two-thirds think that the, it's just it, a symbol of Jesus. Yeah. It's and, just bread. And so that is a real concern is that, you know, not just because people are receiving the hand, but just that, you know, our culture and whatever that we've come to a point where, you know, two-thirds of people, because of lack of catechesis or whatever, think that it mm -hmm. is just a symbol. Yeah. Whereas we know as Catholics that we believe in the real presence, that the body, that the bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. And so what we can, what can we do to, not just to know about that, but to remind ourselves of that when no one will receive. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the, I don't want to say the bare minimum, but I think at one point the bishops asked, at least in the United States, that everyone bow before they receive communion. Right, yeah, as a sign of reverence to the to Jesus present in the Eucharist. Yeah. If they're not kneeling, that they should bow yeah. before receiving yeah. communion. So I think, uh, which means it allows still for that option of receiving communion while kneeling, is a, yes. um, which is becoming more popular as, as well. well. Right? Yeah, yeah. So at a Newman Center, I'm not the chaplain anymore, but when I was, we, because we didn't have a communion well, our, my solution was to, we had two, the service go get the praedus or the kneelers, mm -hmm. the individual, size kneelers from the prayer area and bring them uh, to the communion line. And so that way, the I or the Eucharistic minister could just like give communion over the top, you know, if they stayed standing, right. you know, but if they knelt that, they, that way they had the option to kneel if they wanted. Right, right. Yeah, because it's sometimes hard to kneel down if there's no support uh, or a kneeler or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? so. Yeah, so I, I guess it's um, it kind of goes back to the question of as human beings, we are embodied creatures, yes. which means yeah. we express truths in our soul through our bodies. So like when we go to pray, for example, obviously, you know, you can pray kneeling or standing or sitting or lying down or whatever. It doesn't um, it doesn't keep you from praying in your soul, but the, the postures indicate and and help us in our faith that we believe in our soul yeah. so that's why we have certain postures throughout the mass yeah. you know we kneel during the eucharistic prayer to to show reverence for jesus who's present on the altar at that time yeah. Yeah. and so i think you know what can we do then in with regard to the eucharist and communion to to express that faith and reverence yeah. for jesus present in the eucharist yeah. Yeah, I always go back to Moses and the burning bush, right? Like mm -hmm. once Moses realizes that the bush isn't being burned up or not being consumed, yeah. and that you know God is speaking from this fiery bush, like, he takes off his shoes, he like hits the ground, right. like, just out of total reverence for God. That he's right. on holy ground. Yeah, the the awe and wonder, the yeah. holy fear of the Lord, the one of yeah. the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So much so, yeah. So yeah, um, 
we uh there was a, a couple parishes i was in where we installed kneelers that they hadn't had for quite a while oh and, in the um, pews yeah. in the pews yeah. yeah so that they could kneel during the eucharistic prayer and um father cook helped me with that and he said if you look in the bible how often it is where people approach jesus and they're asking for a favor or whatever and they fall to their knees before him or or when um they catch the huge amount of fish peter falls to his knees before Jesus and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. So that it's just that attitude of recognizing that Jesus is more than just an ordinary man. Yeah. He is the Lord and God. And, God is God and, and, the, and we are not. Yeah. And then falling to their knees in front of him. And so that during the mass, you know, those are the, the two times when the host is held up uh -huh. is we're kneeling at that time during yeah. the Eucharistic prayer. And then at the, um, uh, Lord, I am not worthy of prayer. Yeah, out of beautiful humility. Yeah. Right. So I think yeah. that probably wraps it up. I don't know if you have any more comments. Well, just just that, yeah, the Eucharist is such a great gift. It's uh, one of the, I think one of the many, but one of the great reasons to be Catholic is that we really do right. to receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is the closest that we will come to him, and it's the closest we will come to heaven on this side of heaven. Right. And there there was a Protestant minister, I think, who once said, if, if I really believed that the Eucharist was Jesus Christ, I would be going up the aisle on my knees to receive communion. And he said, and I don't see Catholics doing that, so I, I question whether that really is the case and so that it's an interesting thought yeah that we should approach the eucharist with great humility right uh, uh, so well thanks again for joining us for another episode take yep. care thank you god bless god bless you yep.